guess what, garden nerds? We got a sponsor. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned small business that ships craft CBD products directly from their farm to your door. Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. They offer tinctures, edibles, salves, and coffee designed to help with sleep, stress, and sore muscles. They're located outside Burlington, Vermont, and were originally a dairy farm. But in 2019, they decided to diversify and start growing hemp. You know, hemp. It's going to save the world. Anyway, you're supporting regenerative agriculture when you buy products from Sunset Lake CBD. They use regenerative and organic methods, and their farm workers are paid a living wage, and the employees own the majority of the company. I've been using the hemp and arnica salve, and I really love how it smells and feels. And my husband has been drinking the coffee, and he says that he's having a no-jitter experience. So use the promo code NERD for 20% off your entire order at SunsetLakeCBD. Now, on with the show. It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. This week, we're chatting with Jeff Pierce, an urban homesteader in Sonoma County, California. Jeff and his wife raise bees, veggies, fruits, and mushrooms, and a bunch of other stuff. He's also, as it happens, a medical doctor who incorporates his love of growing food into his practice, teaching plant-based wellness concepts to his clients. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Christy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, we met years ago at the Heirloom Expo back in 2018, I think it was. It feels like forever ago, honestly. And we've corresponded over the years. You send me pictures of your harvest photos with your of your daughter eating berries with you and so, you know, it's it looks like a really idyllic location you have. So let's start by describing your homestead and what's growing there, generally speaking. Yeah, so we have we're up in Northern California, Sonoma County, like you said, and we live very near the center of town. It's probably an of uh, an above average uh, size city lot, but it's it's certainly not out in the country and it's just uh, just an urban plot that we have decided to try to sort of convert every square meter almost to something that we can eat. And we have a focus on annual veggies, the typical summer garden stuff, uh, but we also um, love growing a, a fall and winter garden. We've got the seedlings uh, growing right now and started to put some in the soil already. We have the perennial vegetables like asparagus and artichokes. And then uh, I do most of the fruits. So we've got all sorts of berries, um, small fruit trees uh, that allow us to extend our harvest. And happy to chat with you more about that um, today. Uh, you know, then the maybe some of the less common stuff like growing some stuff in greenhouses, doing some beehives for helping our local bee population, but with a side benefit of getting a little bit of honey out of that. We have a couple of old hens that are mostly there for entertainment, I'd say, and the manure that they give us for the for the compost heap and, you know, compost bins and uh, things on the shelves uh, like uh, microgreens and mushrooms and things like that. It sounds like a really full yard. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> and from the pictures that you've sent, it's they're, they're It's just so cute over there. And you you sent a recent photo, which we're going to use in the blog post that goes along with this of your your child with stacks of honey jars around them. It was so cute. Uh, and I want to mention, dear listeners, we are recording this in mid-September. So by the time you hear this, those veggies that Jeff is planting will be well underway and thriving. So you don't get, in Sonoma County, you don't get a, do you get a frost there? 
We do. We're, you know, I'm not exactly sure for our microclimate, but Santa Rosa is mostly 9A and 9B. And so we have lots of nights in the uh, 30s and uh, some nights in the upper 20s. Uh, rarely will it get much colder. And so we're lucky enough to be able to grow stuff throughout the winter. And, you know, we just try to get it established enough to where it's not really growing during the winter, but at least it's not dying for the most part. Yeah. Important. So let's back up for a second and talk about that greenhouse of yours, because I'm envious to have a space like that. You're growing subtropicals like avocados. I'm going to say this wrong, but babaco and jabutica, jabutica, which is I've never heard of in my life. In, in basically you're growing these things in an environment that you just described is not really suited for those things. So How's that working for you? And why are you growing Jabutika besides the fact that it's really <laughs> interesting to look at? <laughs> so um, we, you know, like you mentioned, it sounds like a full yard. Well, it is a full yard. Uh, you know, we're growing in our driveway. Uh. Uh, if you don't, if you, if you're not careful, you open up your sock drawer and there's like a tomato start in there. And, you know, we really are packed for, for space. And so there was on the back side of the garage when we moved in, there was sort of an overhang that probably somebody parked a rowboat in or something at some point, but um, we converted it into a passive solar greenhouse. Oh. And um, basically we tried to aim the part that gets the sun in a wise way that maximizes uh, heat during the winter. We have a solar sort of attic fan uh, that kicks on anytime it's above a certain temperature and some phase change material, um, which is basically a like a whole bunch of soy sauce packets uh, put into a wallpaper that change temperature and release heat um, as they go from uh, liquid to solid state. Uh, so it's good for keeping sort of like the Pacific does to the coast in general to keep things a more stable temperature. So we're using little tips and tricks like that to help with maintaining it instead of doing a whole bunch of, you know, uh, fossil based fuels to keep it warm. Uh, we did just get solar recently for the house and so can probably do some like chicken heat lamp or, or something that's necessary for a little extra heat now and then on the real cold nights. But yeah, so we've got uh, a couple avocados in there, a banana, that uh, babaco, which is a mountain papaya uh, from the Andes uh, that doesn't really taste like a papaya, uh, which is good for me because uh, I'm not the biggest fan of papayas, but it uh, can stand a little bit colder temperatures than a regular lowland papaya would. And yeah, that crazy Brazilian thing called a jabuticaba, which uh, is supposed to taste like uh, conquered grapes and they grow on the trunk and the branches. And, um, you know, we haven't had a single one. And, you know, the first one might come after I'm already pushing up daisies, but it's fun to, to you know, try these things, especially since we've got the tried and true things like you know, bunches of peaches and plums and stuff to keep our refrigerator full and our bellies full. And then we can experiment with some of these uh, kind of crazy things. Yeah. I've seen those Jabba Tikabas at, there's one at a community, not a community garden, at a botanic garden in my area. And it, it's just mm. weird. It's it, the whole, the fruits grow on the trunk and they're deep, deep purple, black, and they're shiny and it's weird. <laughs> but I, I imagine they, they taste pretty interesting. Uh, and it's funny you should mention that papaya, you don't like papaya. I am I'm gonna piss a lot of people off when I say that I think it tastes <laughs> like vomit. So I don't <laughs> I don't like papayas at all. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, you'd like the babaco. You would. Okay, it doesn't good. taste like vomit at all. Okay, no. good. That's <laughs> now, does your whole family participate in this homestead? 
Yeah, that's one of the best parts about it. You know, that's the, the community aspect of it is that, uh, so I certainly couldn't do this by myself and, and I uh, would have no, would not have the skills to do that. You know, I learned about gardening mostly from my wife. We got married and got this place and started gardening together in 2014. And before that, you know, I could kill a picture of a plant basically. And so <laughs> you know, I learned a lot from her. And so she sparked my interest and then listening to a whole bunch of podcasts like Gardener and uh, Gardener's Question Time from the BBC and all that stuff got me good at it. And now uh, we do it as a family. And that's been great for our daughter, uh, Camille, who is seven and lovely. And now, you know, she will only mildly begrudgingly go out and pick things if I ask her to pick some lemons for dinner. And she loves, you know, she gets to the strawberries before I do but she's also really fair with saying, you know, well, let's cut this in half. And did mama get a piece? And did, uh, you know, did you get a piece and all that kind of stuff? So we do it as a family. I do most of the fruit and uh, about half the start. My wife, Mimi, does most of the harvesting because uh, she's better at knowing just when to pick them than I, than I am, I think. And then Camille uh, knows how to find the really tasty fruit and, uh, and eat them. And, and I've seen, because I've seen pictures of the results. I know that there's some canning and bread making and kombucha that goes on. Who does all of that? Um, a, a mix again. So uh, I do the bread. I do the freezing. Um, I just uh, did some fruit leathers for the first time this year. We have an O. Henry peach, which is you know, when you eat it fresh off the limb, there are a few things better in this life. And, but we were just getting bushels this year. So we made some fruit leather. Um, I did that. And we're using a lot in ice cubes and using those in smoothies with some greens uh, to make sure our daughter eats more than white rice and pasta. Uh, but Mimi is the main canner. Uh, she cans the tomatoes and some of the fruit. Uh, I'm glad that she does it. Uh, and she also, she does the kombucha and I uh, help her drink it. Nice. That's a really good division of labor. I like that a lot. Yeah. When we met I, and all this time, I didn't know you were a doctor the whole time. And I think <laughs> the long hair and hippie beard threw me off for a while. <laughs> but your focus in medicine is something you don't often see with medical doctors because so often medicine is just separated from nutrition and the whole idea that food is medicine. So you are focusing on plant-based medicine. What brought you to that decision? You know, in medical school, there's very little nutrition uh, training um, in the United States and in, in many countries. It's, it's interesting. Like when you think back to the nutrition you learn in medical school, I think I learned about scurvy, which, you know, mostly was a problem with pirates until they figured out to bring some limes on the boat. And uh, yeah. And so, but we didn't really learn a lot about how diet can prevent, treat and reverse uh, diabetes and hypertension and obesity and stuff like that. And so my focus in med school and in residency was actually in global health. You know, I worked in Latin America, but mostly in Africa, um, working with kids and families with HIV and tuberculosis and malnutrition in the sense of not enough calories. You saw that in really poor areas in, in the work that I was lucky enough to do in Africa. But still, the, I was very unprepared for uh, the type of malnutrition that we see a lot in the United States, which is sort of an overnutrition with the wrong types of foods. And so I stumbled back in the summer of 2019, I stumbled over uh, what's called lifestyle medicine. It's, and it's the newest or, or one of the newest boarded specialties in medicine. And so we think about boarded specialties like pediatrics and family medicine and surgery, but lifestyle medicine is brand new compared to those. 
And it's basically a focus on what can you eat? How can you move best? Uh, what about you know sleeping and stress management? What about these things will allow you to live really healthy and for a long time? So you know when I think about all that stuff, it sounds like gardening to me. Right. Um, you're right. It's like you're eating mostly nutrient rich uh, stuff from your garden, which are the the plants, the veggies, the uh, fruits, the legumes that you grow. And this is what scientifically has been proven uh, based on decades of research with millions of people that keep us the healthiest and living the longest. Let's dive into some of the details about this. What are some of the things that you specifically grow for health reasons in your own garden? You know, when you look at work done by Dan Butner, uh, who has a project called the Blue Zones, if you're, have you heard of that, Christy? Yes, yes. Yeah, right. So he's focused on areas around the world with the largest concentration of people that live to 100, the centenarians, and um, based on these places in uh, Greece and Italy and Okinawa, Japan, and then Loma Linda in your neck of the woods down in Southern California. Yeah, uh, crazy. Uh, yeah, crazy and, and wonderful. And they, they look, you see patterns of eating such as legumes, beans being a big one, tubers, and mixed greens uh, are some of the things in common, some of the foods in common between these really healthy populations. And so in our garden, we focus on a variety of foods. And I think the variety of foods is where it's at. Because as a country, we love the idea of a superfood that we can eat this one thing, and it's going to make it all better. Just like, you know, or eat, uh, take a pill or eat this one thing and it'll uh, make our disease go away. And it's kind of fun to talk about, you know, the scientific data on a blueberry or on a piece of chard and stuff like that. But it's probably really the variety of healthy foods that will bring us this uh, health and vitality. Right. Yeah. Diversity and is <laughs> Diversity is key. You know, the fiber is what we are mostly deficient in. And, you know, 97% of Americans get enough or more than enough protein, but we're always being asked like, well, what kind of protein do you want with your meal? But the question should be like, well, what kind of fiber do you, would you like with your order today? Because 97% of Americans aren't getting enough fiber. And then, you know, before I answer exactly what foods that we're growing that help with our health, the analogy or the, the connection between the soil microbiome and a healthy plant is just fascinatingly similar, analogous to the health of your microbiome and the health of you as a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I know you're nodding. I know you're a fan of Dr. Uh, Elaine Ingram and the soil food web and you, uh, you're a proponent, you spread the word and you know that we don't, um, you know, we don't add a bunch of uh, chemical fertilizer to our plant to try to make it healthy. That, that gives it a little bit of a boost, but it doesn't sustain it. And it's not where the magic is, right? It's all the incredible diversity of the bacteria and the protozoa and the viruses and et cetera, that work with the roots that work on the leaves that are on the fruits themselves. And it is just exactly the same as the fact that we are just covered inside and out with uh, this layer uh, upon layer of bacteria and viruses, and protozoa and yeast and fungi, et cetera. And as you feed these things, these wonderful elements that come in plants, predominantly fiber, we break this down. Thank you very much to our symbiotic relationship to the bugs inside of us. You know, we're, there's something like 10 times more cells uh, that are bacterial and other microbiome than there are mammalian cells in all of us. And we're 90% genetically the bugs that live on and within us. And so, you know, in some ways we're more bug than we are mammal, um, but we don't think about it that way. 
So all of that to say that the stuff that we grow in our gardens is the food for these folks. And these folks are what are keeping us healthy. It keeps our intestinal barrier intact. It helps our mood. It's good for our arterial uh, health. And so we want to grow foods that feed this microbiome. The good news is, is there's a microbiome for uh, every plant that you can uh, feed it. And so this variety of foods uh, leads towards health. So all of that to say, we have uh, a big focus on green, a big focus on berries and other fruits. We grow some uh, legumes. For us, the easiest are the runner beans. You know, love the scarlet runner beans and occasionally some other beans, different kinds of black or red beans. Most of those, to tell you the truth, we buy from the store, just like most of the whole grain uh, we get from bulk as well because of amount of space that you need to apply to get them to grow. And I appreciated hearing your stories of the grains that you've grown in your plot down in Southern California as motivation for us. But for what we grow ourselves to feed us and to keep us really healthy, it's mostly fruit and veg. Uh, a little bit of legumes, and then you know something. I'm not going to go to the store and buy a babaco because it's I can't find it, right? So that's a whole different set of subtypes of fiber and vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals, all of these healthy nutrients that we only find in plants that I'm never going to get in my gut unless I grow it myself or take a trip down to Southern California or the Andes and have some uh, where they're grown more commonly. I love that you're uh, connecting the soil food web to our in turn our, our, our own microbiome. That's a huge, it's a huge thing. And I think people, uh, you know, especially new gardeners who are afraid of bugs, may this be one of the ways that you get over that. <laughs> I hope, you know, that's kind of a cool thing. All right, let's talk about some of your top choices and maybe hopefully easy to grow things that everyone should have in their garden. Sure. So I think a big focus should be on dark green leafy vegetables. And I think this is a good one for beginner gardeners because they are not hard to grow, particularly things like kale, collards, chard, beet greens. I think spinach, at least for us where we are, spinach is a little bit harder because of bolting. Uh, you have to be a little bit more careful about what season you grow it in. You know, chard around here, and I think also for you, it grows great for a lot of the year. You let it go to seed. All of a sudden you find it popping up in five meters away from where you had it last time. And that's lovely because it'll grow in our clay, in our clay soil. My wife tells me, you know, do not plant any more chard in the raised bed because it does fine in the cracks of the cement. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so that is really good. So I think part of the reason why I recommend it is because these are pretty easy to grow, but also because they are like the nutritional powerhouse. They have anti-cancer properties. They have chemicals that help dilate our blood vessels. And with, you know, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks and stuff being the number one killer for men and women in the United States, eating foods that will make sure that you have well-functioning uh, heart arteries uh, is crucial. So I'm a big fan of that. And you can grow it for a lot of the year in a lot of climates. And then if it gets too cold where you are in a climate in the Northeast or in the Midwest, you can have either powdered it if you wanted to, dehydrated it and powdered it uh, during the fall, or you can bring them inside and grow them as uh, microgreens like broccoli sprouts being full of the isothiocyanates like sulforaphane to help with anti-cancer type stuff. So that's, that's a big one for me. 
And I know that, so for, for Northern gardeners who aren't yet familiar with Nikki Jabor and her year-round gardening book, she's growing stuff in cold frames and, you know, mm -hmm. low tunnels and all kinds of stuff. And she's got kale growing all the time. So I think it's definitely possible. I want to ask a quick follow-up question because there's a lot of people who have trouble with or are afraid of kale and other brassicas because of the olytic, olytic acid. I'm saying it wrong, I'm sure. But, um, you know, not mm -hmm. eating it raw and stuff like that. And it, I know it needs an acid break that down like lemon juice or apple cider vinegar or something like that do you have a favorite or recommended way that you want people to consume those kinds of things it's interesting you know i do not have that as a concern um there's some debate as you look in the literature about whether or not the brassica family broccoli family type stuff is better uh, for you cooked or raw? And I think the answer is whichever way you like to eat it, because the more you eat it, the better, um, the more you'll get inside you. Uh, some experts will say steam a bunch, you'll get a bunch in your system or saute a bunch, and then put a little bit of the fresh stuff uh, in, which will allow you to get a mixture of the two. And on top, you know, putting, sorry, a little bit of the fresh stuff on top of your dish at the end, that gives you a mixture of the different kinds of chemical, uh, phytochemicals at different stages of breakdown, a adding some vinegar, uh, does allow you to get some of the nutrients absorbed better. And so I almost always will have either a little bit of apple cider vinegar, rice vinegar, or something similar, a nice vinaigrette on uh, top of my greens to help absorb the goodies. But I'm, I'm not concerned about that at all. I think one of the concerns with greens that's worth mentioning is what about all the oxalates in spinach, in beet greens, and in um, chard? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that risk is mostly theoretical for things like kidney stones and stuff like that. There might be case reports of it, but you have to eat just cups and cups and cups of it every day. And so as long as you are growing a variety of greens and not just drinking 17 cups of chard smoothie, a day, you're going to be just fine. Um, so grow it all, eat it all, you'll get a big benefit to the variety of the nutrients and that will help you live healthier and longer. All right. Well, it is tip time and I can't wait to hear because you said you had a few tips you wanted to share. So let's get to it. What do you want to share with the Garden Nerd audience? Sure. Well, I'd say, so the first was one that we just covered was if you're going to just grow one thing and you're new at this, uh, try growing some dark leafy greens. Uh, that's great. The other part of that recommendation is that you open up your fridge and all you see is the brown soggy kale from a month ago that you bought. <laughs> and it takes uh, a lot of inertia to get your clothes on and get out to the store. And it doesn't take much inertia to get out to your garden and to pick a couple of leaves of kale. I mean, you don't even have to wear pants for that especially if it's your backyard. So you have these greens easily available to you and uh, it is you don't have to overcome inertia. It is uh, just part of your daily. And so that's great. A tip for more experienced gardeners who are already growing a handful of things is just to, yes, extend your season, grow during the fall and winter if you can, grow a bunch of mini fruit trees to make your own mini fruit garden, if you will, uh, so that you can eat stuff all throughout the year we have fresh fruit almost, and you know, I don't want to, you know, knock on wood, but for most months of the year, we have fresh fruit or stuff that we can, and um, that's a big benefit to your health uh, to be able to have that. So experiment with doing things that are not just summer gardening. And then my last point, just for a final health tip, would be if you do have one of these conditions that we're talking about, you know, heart disease, diabetes, uh, cholesterol problems, um, had a history of a stroke, something like that, and you talk to your doc 
about what can I do with eating the right food, you know, working out in the garden? Does any of this have anything that will make me healthier? And if your doc says, well, I have no idea, well, at least he or she's being honest. And that's good because they probably got as much nutrition training as I did uh, in medical school, which is not much. Um, They might say, no, absolutely not. No matter, you can garden all day and eat all the fresh veggies. It's really, you're only going to get better if you take this pill that I prescribed you. Well, they're probably not completely right on that. They might be kind of wrong on that. And then lastly, they might say, yeah, actually it can help, but you know, that takes so much work. Most of my patients won't do that. So it's just easier for you to take this pill or have this procedure. And so if you're hearing that sort of a message from your doc, my recommendation is go get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, know, you will learn that there's a lot of stuff out there that can uh, help you live a really healthy life for a really long time based on scientific evidence, and uh, you will be thankful and grateful for it. I know I am. Yay. Uh, You know, it it occurred to me while you were talking about the one great thing is like grow dark leafy greens. I want to add that it's also a bonus that they are what I call factory vegetables because you grow them in a small space. You can put one kale plant in one square foot and just keep harvesting the outer leaves and it'll keep growing taller and taller and taller and you just keep going. I just pulled some kale plants that they were called black magic kale. They were seeds from uh, Eden Gardens. I'm gonna I'm gonna put whatever it is in the <laughs> blog post for this. Um, black magic kale is bred specifically to grow in hot weather, and I swear those plants that I just pulled have been in the ground for about three years, and they just kept putting mm. stuff out, and they never got aphids because that were you know real really resilient. So I want to encourage people to plant those deep leafy greens and keep them going because. That's what they do. And they'll take up a little bit of space so you can make the most of it. Yeah. And these are foods that you, you know, the amount of fossil fuels that you burn to get from your kitchen to your garden and back is uh, kind of in the minuscule range compared to having them sent from out of state or out of country in the wrong season, et cetera. Right. So, you know, you are saving the planet every time you harvest your own kale. And I love it. That's right. Well, thank you so much for those great tips, Jeff, and for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. Thank you so much for having me. How do people find you? Uh, cool. So I have a website uh, that is uh, jeffpiercemd.com. That's P-I-E-R-C-E. Uh, so jeffpiercemd.com. That's got a lot of free resources on websites to look up and books to read and um, to live healthy. And I'll make sure that I've got some good gardening resources on there. I'm, I'm not totally sure that I do, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll double check that. And then on Instagram, I have Dr. Jeff Pierce as my account handle. And on Facebook, uh, a little bit of Facebook work at Jeffrey, uh, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y M Pierce MD is my Facebook page. And if you'd like to talk with a doc that knows a lot about plants and how they can help your health, then you could also check me out at plantbasedtelehealth.com. I work with a wonderful group of docs uh, that all uh, have seen the light. And uh, between the nine or so of us, we cover all 50 states. So if you happen to live in a state that I don't have a medical license in, please see one of my coworkers and they will take good care of you. Excellent. All right, Garden Nerds, you'll find a link to Jeff's website on GardenNerd.com this week. We'll also share his very young social media links. Follow him, people. He has great harvest photos to share and resources for living a healthy life from the garden. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff 
at Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under Garden Nerd One, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!